Hello and welcome to Fascinatingly Odd, Fantastically Queer, a podcast by JK and Darren in isolation. I know, and this week we're doing a virtual tour around the VNA with the fabulous Dan Vo, uh, who is joining us from Acton. In a, in a cupboard in Acton, um, because acoustics. <laughs> acoustics. Uh, so in this episode, we're going to go on a bit of a virtual walk around the VNA. We're going to look at objects and really understand uh, why, why looking at these objects in a queer gaze is uh, important in this day and age. I think what we talk about is a lot deeper than just a virtual tour of the VNA. It's the importance of stories, the importance of queer stories, and the importance of queer connections and bringing people together as well. It is. And uh, whilst we're on lockdown, that is much more vital than ever, as we will discuss in this week's episode as well. Do you have anything else to say about it? No. <laughs> we're doing this all remotely, so there is a bit of a lag. So if there's a lag in this episode, that's why. Well, I mean, you can edit that out, you know, you can edit the pauses out. JK? I'm not that, I'm not that good at technology. Did you, did you just, this is a tangent, yesterday's episode, did you just like upload it, put it on and then, like you didn't edit it at all? So the bit where we've been shady about jabs is on there. And now you've been shady about him in this episode as well, great. Thanks, let's get on with the podcast. You need to learn to edit, so <laughs> that's what you need to do. That's why I gave that one to you, all of them. Anyway... <laughs> This is the episode with Dan. I hope you enjoy it. Enjoy. Obviously, we're all in lockdown at the moment. We're all remote. Uh, I'm in Somerset. Darren, where are you? I'm in Northwest London. And Dan? I'm in West London and I'm inside a cupboard. <laughs> and and uh, just so everyone is aware, we are currently locked down as per everyone else in the UK and much of the Western world. Uh, so whereabouts in London are you in West London? I am in a lovely spot. Uh, I'm actually in Acton, which has like a gazillion stations that goes into it. But because I'm in the weird spot of Acton, my closest station is Turnham Green. So it's a very nice and leafy section of London. Uh, I do rather like it. It's it's very lovely. It's beautiful. And and what we normally um, ask, and the, the premise of the podcast is that we normally go to uh, significant locations. And I know that we had plans to go to the VNA and have a nice mooch around of an afternoon. Um, that can't happen right now. Uh, so what, let's, let's paint that picture, though. So um, if we were on location, where would you be taking us? Where would we be sitting right now? Well, if we were on location, I think the first thing we would have done was we would have met underneath the beautiful Dale Chihuly chandelier. And conveniently, I've got a picture of it on my wall, so I can kind of describe it. It is this gorgeous blue and yellow and because it's blue and yellow glass uh, it sort of comes together in different shades of green as well this really beautiful extravagant chandelier even though it doesn't make any light so technically it's not a chandelier it absorbs light more than it um, emits it but um, it's this uh, Murano glass sculptor who has sort of made it into these really intricate wavy and balloon shaped lines and we would have met right underneath it I think it's about three tons or something so it's slightly terrifying to be under this you know three tons of glass but that's where we usually meet to start the LGBTQ tours because uh, we tell you know you have to tell people to meet somewhere but uh, it's a great place to meet as well and we usually run the LGBTQ tours on the last Saturday of the month at four o'clock and it's pretty much the shiny spot where we all get to just corral in anticipation I, I like the fact that you're getting the plug in very early on in the, in the podcast. Um, that's, Just that, before everyone that's switches off, it's great. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell I'm media trained? <laughs> <laughs> and, and 
Uh, this is in the V&A, so it's as you go through the central doors uh, from, uh, is it Cromwell Street or is it, um, what street are we going uh, Cromwell from? Road. I mean, there's two entrances now. There's Cromwell Road and I prefer the Exhibition Road entrance because they've just redone it. It's beautiful. Um, it's sunlit. Uh, and I think it's just a nice new way for people to enter. It's not got that uh, imperious architecture, which can be slightly imposing, I think. It's a little bit more open, so I, I, I prefer the, the side entrance, I think. Uh, and you kind of like end up in amongst some of the Buddhist sculptures as well, so I rather like that as well. It's just a nice sort of peaceful touch point. It's, um, it's great. And so you, you go in, you are meeting under this uh, glass chandelier. Yeah. Uh, I have been told once that it was a bit like uh, when people are corralling around to meet up. I think uh, it feels a bit like it's Soho during Pride. Like there is a lot of people that come on these tours and it's great. And I think part of it is just to sort of say that we're celebrating queer culture. We're celebrating queer history. And it's something that I think when we were doing it about five years ago, it felt new and innovative and no one else was doing it. I think there's a lot more places that are doing it now which is great. But I think that most importantly, it is just essential that at all times we're saying that at the heart of everything we do, there is the understanding that queer people have existed across place, time and culture. And, you know, I'm in a cupboard now, we're in lockdown, I can't get into the museum, I can't bring people into the museum. If we're going to be doing digital content as well, it's really important that we make sure that at the heart of everything that we do as well, it includes queer content as well. And so you started five years ago doing this as a side project, a side hustle. Like, what's the story? <laughs> how did you how did you wake up one morning and go, I'm gonna, I can't even say that word today. Curate a, a tour of the the VNA that specifically focuses on LGBT stuff. Yeah, somebody did give me a new title, which I rather like now. Rather cheekily, they called me a queerator rather than a curator. So I think I would now use that accolade. It's something that. So I grew up in Melbourne, and when I was growing up in uni, I uh, had some disastrous fashion moments in my life. And the V&A's books, the fashion books, are brilliant. You're saying disastrous now. I think uh, I continue to have disastrous uh, <laughs> fashion choices and fashion issues as uh, I my job you wear fashion, JK. Let's be real. <laughs> oh, Wow. They've come out quick, haven't they? <laughs> I don't know. You've got a lovely jumper. It looks very cozy. Cozy. Tory blue. Oh. <laughs> okay, yeah. I take it back then, yeah. <laughs> so you you have now done this for five years. So how it started, you became a queer writer. Uh What's that journey been like? Why did it start? How did you first get there? It started because there was a Friday late at the V&A and we had lots of events going on all around the museum and... I wanted to get people to the place where they need to be, but I also, on the way, wanted to show them some of the great heritage that exists in the galleries, and queer heritage that's in the galleries, that is often not talked about. The principle of the LGBTQ tours that we do at the V&A and elsewhere that I've done them, so I've done them at seven uh, museums in Cambridge, University of Cambridge Museums, plus we've just started LGBTQ tours in Amgay, the Ganetha Tol Kadif, which is the... Good pronunciation, Oh, well thank you. Uh, it's the national... Museum Cardiff, we always say that the existence is across place, time and culture, and it is in every single galley. It's embedded. You, we don't have a queer corner at any of these museums. It is about going into the collection and looking at what's already there and saying, ah, now 
this method of interpretation, we can say stories that involve the volunteer's lived experience, or it's something that has been often neglected or forgotten or suppressed or destroyed. You know, there's lots of ways in which these stories have been lost to time. And our duty is to go in, and it's all volunteers who do this interpretation. Our duty is to go in and to revive that and with the people that we bring on to keep it alive. But you're, you're not answering the very specific question of how did you first do this? Oh, well, I, I thought I did. <laughs> oh, no, you did, didn't you? No, you did. But, like, what happened? Darren, don't laugh at me. It's been a long day. Um, but you, you went to a queer, uh, a, a, a late. Yeah. I was already a volunteer at the v so I fine, was fine, front fine. of house. And so when I suggested it to the Friday Late team, I think they were very warm to the idea. And when we did it on the Friday Late, it got good numbers. It was when we said, can we put this onto the permanent schedule? And we believe that we were the first volunteer team to have done a permanent LGBTQ tour on a permanent schedule in any museum in the UK. When we did that, we didn't expect the numbers that we got. We thought we'd get, you know, 10 or 20 people turning up. And that's what we, you know, I was standing in front of underneath the chandelier the first time we did it as a proper tour. And we were about to head off and I got a tap on the shoulder from somebody standing behind me. And what I thought was the line for Alexander McQueen to buy tickets for that exhibition turned out to be about 100 people waiting to go on our tour. So I think the demand obviously was there. There's been a... um, Yeah, I think people were just yearning for something like this. But actually it's quite a nice thing as well because, again, you said earlier that you're not going to a queer corner of a gallery. It's not like, oh, we're doing a pride display um this stuff is in amongst and i suppose i mean i've walked around the vna with you and it's like you're going on this mystery tour of like weaving in and out and going oh and this object over here uh this is the backstory and so it's this this kind of hidden thing that you you otherwise don't get to see it is and part of it is sort of being able to overcome a few hurdles as well i think one of the things that I find with the tours is there are moments in time where some of these stories have been lost. And I think the most significant thing that has happened at our sort of, I suppose, more your time than my time. I, you know, grew up in Australia, so I wasn't, I didn't grow up under Section 28. But I can see people who've come on the tour who have grown up under Section 28. And there's this huge gap in knowledge because it wasn't talked about when they were growing up. And there's a really p- big part of what we do in all the collections that I work with where it's also about making sure that these stories are able to be shared and uh, being able to get them, you know, we're get- getting to the point now where the next innovation is to try and make sure that we can do lesson plans so that we can get them into schools as well and get them talked about there because I think that's where the most important aspect of it is as well. You are right. The whole idea of actually helping to educate, you know, Section 28 uh, I certainly grew up under towards the latter end of. Um, Darren, did you grow up? No, but I kind of, I've spoken about this before, I kind of grew up like post-Section 28, but it was still kind of in effect, pretty much. Like the teachers I had were either educated during Section 28, so kind of were perpetuating those kind of ideas still, or they were teaching during Section 28, so nothing kind of changed for them when it ended. Hmm. And we're still having this debate today, um, thankfully, the uh, the UK Parliament in the last year have passed legislation, maybe it's just over a year ago now, uh, for inclusive relationship sexual education, sex education, um, for uh, school kids, um, which I think is a great step forward. 
but we are still living under the the uh, effects of that legislation. I think in the time that we're in right now as well, it it should be the point where we're supposed to be training up our teachers to be able to deliver that. And now that, I mean, I don't think that training is happening at the moment, unless it very quickly pivots to digital delivery. Uh, I think that, yeah, we've been hindered by yet another thing, which, uh, of course, this is, you know, not anybody's to blame for this, but it, this is going to have a ramification on that particular delivery. I mean, there are people to blame for it, but that's too political. <laughs> and I'm always told to skirt away from politics because I get daggers from Darren um, all the time. And so we're, we're in the V&A. We've met at, uh, under the chandelier. What's it called? Uh, the Dale Chihuly chandelier. The Dale de Chihuly. Uh, Chihuly. Chihuly. Okay. So we've met under there. Where are we going? What's, what's the first stop? Oh, I always like to start at the Statue of David because it's a familiar object. If I say the Statue of David, everyone can picture a Statue of David. And so I have this theory that why something gets put on an LGBTQ tour, there are three... Do you know your maths very well? There's three... There's Venn diagrams, yeah? Three circles, they're intersecting. David stands right in the middle point where all the three circles intersect and each circle represents... uh, a reason as to why something might go on an LGBTQ tour. Shall we do audience engagement? Shall I? I've kind of told you the answer already, JK. So shall we try see if Darren might be able to get it? Oh, great. <laughs> I mean, this this is interactive and this is bringing Darren into the, the conversation. And Darren has been quite quiet so far. So uh, hopefully they can get what you're getting at. I'm not going to, let's be real. But yes. <laughs> it is now up to me to guess. The three... Circles, basically, I'm guessing, right? Yeah. Oh, I don't like this pressure. My mind's gone to, like, goop for this whole week anyway, so this is just even worse. Um, ah. It'll be good for you. I, I like to say when we go on the tour, because it's like seven and a half miles of museum to get through, you, your legs get a great workout, but so does your brain, so we give you a good brain workout as well. So let's get that exercise going. Can I have any hints? Um... Oh, okay. So it's the Statue of David. That's kind of a hint as well. So You, you, you know what the Statue of David is, yeah. Darren? So that's the, the subject, I suppose. I'm that's one. who that is, to be fair, right now, because I have no idea. So really? This is, I'm not very cultured. <laughs> oh, do you know who it's by? Like, have you heard of the Statue of David by? Um, well, it's, it, it's, it, it's a very famous statue in Florence. Currently yes. resides in Florence. Yeah, my emergency klaxon is going off right now. I need to get you to a museum now. Get thee to a museum. <laughs> um, the things I go to museums. I just like look around and look at the pretty things. I went to the V&A on Valentine's Day with my friend. Aww. It was great. Um, yeah, me. Yeah, but like, <laughs> I just look at the pretty things and kind of ignore the things that bore me. I'm not very good. <laughs> what did you see? What were the pretty things that you saw? Um, I like the fashion part. That was my main part. I liked the most. But yeah. I liked like the. The um that was the Asia part and the the thing you were talking about earlier that was I remember seeing that and like actually taking pictures because there's like the tarantula and it sank on the side as well wasn't there like I think it's one of the most photographed uh, works yeah. that are in the collection yeah absolutely and then there well, was what... um a room where you went into and it was like meant to look like someone's room and then it was destroyed further in oh that is a temporary exhibition yeah and it's gorgeous it is I think a cautionary tale for artists 
which is yeah always get the money up front <laughs> yeah definitely it was really cool it was like i thought it was quite funny as well because it was so like camp too it was like yeah. the campest thing ever um so yeah yeah to describe it it's literally it was a room that was designed by james mcneil abbott whistler take those four names and just jumble them up i every time i say his name i always mix it up it's like abbott mcneil James Whistler, whatever his name is. Um, but he was commissioned to make this beautiful room, which is gold and green and blue. And there's peacocks on the wall and all these beautiful ceramics. And then the cautionary tale was the, the person who commissioned him never paid up. So this new artist has reinterpreted that with all the ceramics smashed and the gold is bleeding out onto the floor and the ceiling is about to cave in and the painting of the beautiful woman in the kimono instead of looking at you she's like turned away and it's slightly you know grotesque and bubbly the whole space that is grotesque and bubbly up yeah i i, I it's a such a beautiful space so you saw some beautiful things tell me more about the fashion gallery um oh god no, that's my memory it was I like-, I, I like this this is this is inverse it's now dan interviewing darren yeah uh, right um no, it was nice thing like the uh, um fashion like through like time like obviously because it goes through time we didn't go to the exhibition part at the inside we just went around like the other part um like how small shoes were back in the day like they were tiny <laughs> because they were tiny people back in the day surely <laughs> was there anything that stood out for you um not particularly was something meant to stand out <laughs> for me <laughs> No, 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 not at all. Oh. Just curious if something, you know, particularly caught your eye. I usually like to ask people if there's something that, one object that you would take home, you get one, what that would be. Mm. I quite like to work the 70s clothes, but I'm very into like the 70s things at the moment, and the 70s aesthetic. So that was kind of my, where I probably spent most of my time just like staring at normal. Yeah. What makes up a 70s aesthetic? I don't It's like lots of like flowers and patterns. And it's kind of over the top platform shoes. Very like what Trixie Mattel is at the moment as well, because mm. I'm that basic. But like when I went to New York, my one thing that I had to do when I went to New York was go to the V and A and see Notes on Camp. Oh. Met Gala. Just to correct, uh, Met Museum, not Met Gala. I even got it wrong. Yeah, well, no, yeah, Notes <laughs> on Camp from the Met Gala. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I had to go see that because that was the one thing I wanted to see, and then I've got a book of it. Let's go back to this Venn diagram. Uh, so you have Statue of David in the middle. Uh, and then proceed with the explanation. Well, I think the the answer was, of course, the subject is the Statue of David. The maker is Michelangelo or Michelangelo. And so those are the two fairly basic parts of the Venn diagram. And thank you for drawing it out for me as well there with your gestural arm gestures. Thank you. I can see the circles now. Uh, I think the third one is exactly what Darren has just done which is in the act of going into the collection and seeing something, especially, for example, with notes with camp and looking at fashion, the way that you look at something is an act of queering as well. So there's a few different ways that a museum can queer objects. It could be to juxtapose it with other objects, like the the, the space that you saw that was by James something, 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 with all that gold and all the peacocks. Initially, that first creation may not have been queer, but this new artist's interpretation of it has made it into this very camp space as well. So the the aesthetic that it's made in, which is with a capital A, the movement of aesthetic, that comes out really strongly. And so there's a, an act of querying. So you can take something and and recreate it in a different way, or you can take something and place it opposite it. So we've got a, 
um, when we did a Friday late at the V&A, we had the Statue of David with people standing around it naked so we could do life drawing classes and they were all shapes and bodies and all sorts of different people and they were naked in a space where previously it was prohibited to be so the statue of david has a fig leaf that gets put on the statue or it got put on the statue during queen victoria's era so now we're in a different space where we can have people who are naked in the space as well and that was during a queer late so that was an act of queering as well by placing people in juxtaposition to the object and i think that's the third circle it's the most important circle it's what darren sees or it's what you see when you come into the collection and your lived experience and interpretation being placed onto the object, I think is the most crucial aspect of how we do the LGBTQ tours. And so uh, you've got the statue of Dave, David, you've objectified him and his pert uh, bottom. Uh, we've had that in-depth uh, talk about where this, uh, this kind of object is. Where next? Where are we heading? Well, uh, just before we leave him, I mean, the reason I start there is to say that there are these three circles. It is to remind people that when we're there, the, the David sits in that perfect point of intersection. There's a few reasons why. When Oscar Wilde was on trial what, and asked what is the love that did not speak its name, he said, well, you look to the love between two men that you see in the sonnets of Michelangelo, our maker, that you see in the story of David in the Bible, David and Jonathan. And it's something that you see across history it's been going on for centuries and it's not unnatural and that's a really important marker point as well i think to to remind us of that history that there was a point in time when it was you know we know that oscar wilde ended up in reading jail and i always end up pausing because i work with reading museum as well and i keep on saying oscar wilde ended up in reading museum and there's curators there who kind of go yeah it's the same thing <laughs> but you know we know oscar wilde at that point in time his thinking was just different to the way the law was so that's a, an important reminder as well so you, you've got section 28 you've got things like the um, indecency um, gross indecency uh, and before that you had you know the bug reel the sodomy act I always forget which one comes first I always think dinner should come first but you know uh, there is there's the reason why I start there first just to be able to get all that in and then we go across the collections we do go into you know um, Japan China the Middle East south asia we go upstairs into glass ceramics so different places of the world different types of objects that we've got in the collection it's to really make sure that the idea of representation is 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 there and obviously you know the museum like the back of your hand where's your favorite part in it what's your favorite lgbt plus object i personally like uh, no, I can't do that. On the spot. <laughs> Pink Sequin Codpiece by Lee Bowery from Melbourne. <laughs> I've always begged and begged and begged to be able to wear it. Uh, the creators always shake their, their finger at me when I ask. Um, there's a few objects. I think that uh, one of the lovely ones that I can think of is a, it's a set of ceramics. It looks like shark's teeth. They're a variety of different colours. And the way that they've been placed in the collection, it's uh, it looks like a rainbow. And it's by a man named Emmanuel Cooper, who was a really important ceramicist. He was the master of making glazes. His book is considered to be the Bible for ceramicists, but more importantly, he was part of the Gay Left Collective. And so he wrote on the idea between the intersection between making art and uh, queering art and how to use all of that to further gay rights. He was writing in the sort of 70s, the mid to late 70s, after the Gay, Liber the gay Liberation <laughs> Front had started to um, 
had started to splinter off into separate different groups. This was an art-based collective that was looking at how art and gay rights could come together. And in our time, we'd now call that you know LGBTQ plus rights. But it was sort of a really important person in the sparking of ideas that I think we still play through to this day at the VNA. And why the VNA? I don't know if you answered that already, but why did you choose the VNA to be your home? I didn't choose the VNA. It chose me. <laughs> As you say, sat in a cupboard. Very like Harry Potter references here. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, as I said earlier, I had all those fashion crises when I was a young man, and I relied on the V&A books to steer me right. And the first one I remember buying was actually an exhibition that was called Skaters, Surfers, and Subcultures. So it meant that I did some really bad I had some really bad choices made from that book, which was like long hair, which I then dyed blonde. And that doesn't work well with my, you know, um, Southeast Asian, yeah, black hair. It sort of, it goes bright orange or copper orange really quickly. It, you know, under lockdown circumstances, my hair would be awful to look at. (laughs) Uh, So I, from that book though, I found some later um, fashion books from the V&A that I think steered me into a lot of a better um, direction. So that's why I, when I arrived here in London, I was looking for community and I was working for a gay radio station in Melbourne. So I had a really strong community around me then. Here, I found it really difficult to connect and I'm not much of a pub or a club person. You know, I, I like to go out every now and then, but I'm not all the time. So it was trying to find a community that I could connect with. And so the VNA was just open to volunteers at that point in time so I, I signed up as a volunteer and yeah I've since always actually I've always at the back of my mind I've always thought about how um, and I suppose wherever I end up working as well it's always about that idea of how do we make sure that this space is for the LGBTQ plus community who don't want to just meet in a bar or pub you know and there's sober communities as well that are emerging that you know really want to be part of this because it's a new way for them to find a place to meet and engage and also get to look at pretty things and does this sound appealing to you i mean does the idea of something like this make you want to come to it or if not why not is this to me oh um no i actually really like it because i like the idea of like these stories that aren't actually like traditionally queer, I guess, or are traditionally queer, but like in the gallery, it's not a queer exhibition, but then you're going into it and telling that queer side story to it, which I think is a really, yeah, it's a, it's a nice way because obviously it's showing that queerness was part of it, it's part of history no matter what. So yes, I, I, it was, it's like that I would actually would go along and come and see and take part in. But I suppose it's also, it's, it's a nice reminder for any queer activist that actually this is an ongoing battle. It's not just a gauntlet that we're each picking up and, and progressing with, but this is an ongoing journey. It, it hasn't got a start point and an end point. You know, we are still pushing boundaries. We are still having to fight. And actually there are pieces, I presume, in, in the collection that are with a non-binary or with a trans uh, guys and they have a story that's hidden and, and need people to come in and lock them as well. And so, you know, if we can get more people to explore these objects and to um, research them and to find out what that kind of unlocked story could be um, I'm sure that 
you could look at any object there and it, it tells a completely different story depending on the you're right the the, the viewer and the the gaze of uh, who's looking at it tells a different unique story i mean the other thing that we should say in that context is that absolutely for activists these are important objects and i'm kind of playing through my head which object to suggest but say we look at Adhanushvara, that is in the South Asia gallery, uh, just in front of actually the entrance to the South Asia gallery. It's a fairly small object. It's about, it would probably fit in my two hands if I tried to pick it up. It's sandstone. It's very, very old. It's one of the older objects that we've got in the collection, sort of a 300, uh, yeah, it's from roughly about the year 300. And it's from Kushan. It's from South Asia, and so we have to talk about the colonial contact. How did it get into our collection, for example? And more importantly, what does it tell us when we look at it? So on one side, we see what would be female attributes, and then on the other side, we see male attributes. And it's in the one object, and the whole thing rests on what is called a lingam, which is a, you know, it's a phallus or a penis, depending on how you want to call it. And it tells us that at that point in time, for you know, the Hindu faith, there was a, an object that spoke to what we would now call a trans or non-binary identity. This was one way in which that community was representing things in order to sort of describe what is visible in that world. And it is Shiva and Pavati coming together in synthesis as well. It shows that we need both energies in the cosmos for it to balance and be, you know, be equal, but also to be in balance. And it talks about the bisexuality, bi-duality of the greater being as well. What the object also tells us is that that was something that was part of life in that day, up until the point where the colonial contact happens and that object is taken up and taken elsewhere and the stories of it are obliterated or suppressed. When India was reappraising whether or not it should decriminalize homosexuality, which was something that was brought to India during the colonial era, so Section 377, it was an imported law from Britain. These are the sort of objects that you can look back to and say, ah, we had a greater understanding of diversity, be it with regards to sexuality or gender, back in the and out prior to the colonial law. So therefore we should overturn it because it's not part of our our history. And to kind of take it the thought process through to the end, when the law was turned over in Calcutta, what the trans and non-binary community there did was they actually created a new Adhanashvara by fusing Shiva with Durga, who is the goddess warrior who serves to protect the most vulnerable so they've created a new icon, a trans icon that is there that will serve the LGBTQ plus community. So those when, uh, who are most in need, this is who this new icon will now save and protect. And do you think that spaces like the V&A that have these collections from across the world and Britain in a wider context as well now has a much, much bigger role in not um, uh, abolishing these laws, these uh, transphobic and homophobic and biphobic laws, but in kind of helping to restore the damage that we've done? 
I think that an object like this, it helps us understand our past, it helps us recontextualize that within our present day, and it helps us map our future. And the V&A and other places like us, any collection, any gallery, library, or archive, or museum, which is a glam, any place that displays objects, we should be understanding that the act of displaying is so there's so many different elements that come into play and so we should be doing it in a way in which we are understanding that we have a role in shaping community and culture and so that is our direct community and then it sort of can broaden if you're a national collection as well we should not seek to impose over other countries other communities but we certainly have the ability to assist those who are in those communities who are seeking for reform to support them. And personally, I know that there are great organizations like Kaleidoscope Trust who are doing things like that. And then there's also Give Out, which are helping to fund local law reformers as well. I think that there is a, there, there is a really important role that collections that have such objects can play in helping to tell those stories because that's what it leads to that second step is a partnership with people who are seeking to change that law that was imposed on several countries around the world several countries I mean, there's about 70 countries 72, where it's illegal yeah. to be homosexual and more than half of them are commonwealth countries so yeah it's a shocking number of countries and i think you'd find that the majority of them were ex-british as well uh, yeah. for our for our shame um but in, in doing all of this LGBT plus uh, looking at the objects that you've got, that was a really bad sentence. Um, but, you know, your audience that is going on these tours, are they predominantly LGBT plus people? Or do you have people that are uh, heterosexual that are just trying to get a different viewpoint on these things? I There's a motto that our first director came up with, which is all of this for all of us. And it's something that we observe on our team. One of the things that we do as a team whenever we sort of meet the first new lot of trainees is we do an exercise where we just sit around and we kind of go, right, have a look at each other. What do you see? And who do you think is missing from this table? How do we make sure that with the next cohort we can represent them? And if they are missing, how do we make sure that we can make sure that their stories are told? And if you're from a group that is sort of a marginalized group within a marginalized group how do we make sure that we help amplify your story as well so we've got people on the team who are trans and non-binary for example but we could always do with more the more diversity we have in our team the better the way that we look at our objects the way that we tell the stories the stories that we tell and therefore we have a better chance of reflecting the audience when they come so that when they come they will be able to see themselves reflected in the objects we do a lot of work in terms of outreach with charities and uh, organizations that serve communities that we want to make sure are represented. So we'll bring them in for free tours and we'll work with them to make sure that, you know, their stories are being told. I can't remember the question now. Uh, the other question was uh, kind of, I didn't really ask it very well, but the it's all fine, I think, talking to communities and, and helping to get their stories told. But there's also another hand of how do we make sure that the ordinary viewer who doesn't have a clue about this stuff, how do we get them to, to kind of understand, you know, you're talking about a statue that shows, uh, 
you know, the male attributes and the female attributes. How do we get them to understand that? Also, what do you mean by ordinary JK? You said the ordinary viewer. Uh, the, 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 you know what I mean by normative, right? You're, you're, you're holding me up to higher standards, Darren, and I don't like it. Or calling out <laughs> on problematic language. But you know what I mean? The, the, the general public, you know, Joe Bloggs on the street, who is uh, uh, cis, he is normal, normal. I said normal again, fuck's yep. sake. Uh, he is straight, he is cis, he has a wife and two kids. How do we get that audience... To, to understand these objects and the fact that LGBT plus people have existed from day dot. Um, um, how do we make sure that they're... I mean, they are welcome to come on these tours. And I don't check everybody who comes on the tour. You know no, know? I, I mean, you're not asking for the straight card to make sure that they're a heterosexual. What colour is the straight card? Just... Grey. <laughs> cream um we have straight people on the team as well and you know their perspective and their participation is valuable and that's part of having a diverse team and we i think are at each of us at different learning points and we are always open to the idea of learning from each other how do we make sure that it's represented in the audiences that come? I think I can't force anyone to come onto the tour. But they've been going for a while and they are uh, relatively well known about. And we... I don't know where to take this part of the answer, actually. It's a really uh, interesting it's, question. It's a, but there's also the idea, like, you know, there's a lot of, like, gay people within the community or a lot of queer people within the LGBT plus community who don't know the history themselves anyway. So how can you be, like, more straight people need to come when there's a lot of queer people that don't know the history too? Like, you can't... It's just one of those things that actually... You can't be saying, oh, like, more straight people need to come to normalise it when a lot of people within the community don't even know their own history. Either. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that we should uh, push one group or community or another um i just think it's a more interesting point that yes you are right people in the lgbt plus community don't necessarily automatically subscribe to go to lgbt plus tours uh to find out their their history uh but also if you look at numbers i find it a really interesting question how do we try and do outreach so that you know i the other thing that's going through my head is that actually those people that tend to go to museums tend to be open to the new ideas anyway um so perhaps my question's a bit loaded in the sense that the communities that i'm trying to reach probably aren't going to the vna anyway i this is a that that is something that i think about deeply i'd like to tell you about an interaction that i had which is at a flag that is really important to me at the museum it's bright orange has a black stripe at the bottom of it the bright orange looks like the same color as a life jacket and the black stripe is supposed to represent um, the buckle on the life jacket. Um, for me it also represents like the horizons that are traversed and travelled by tens of thousands, potentially hundreds of thousands of, in fact almost millions of people who are refugees. So you can bring into that fold all the people who are fleeing countries because it is illegal to be homosexual. So they are going to be uh, asylum seekers or refugees who want to find a country like ours where it's safer to be LGBTQ plus. So I used to end my tour there while it was on display there always because I got to tell that really important story and as a 
someone who comes from a refugee family, that was a really, really important touch point for me. On one particular tour, three women who had been on the tour sort of stayed back and waited for everybody to disperse before coming up to me and said, we got off a plane and got here pretty quickly just to be able to come on this tour because for the last hour, all this sort of stuff that you've been talking about, about queer identity, about queer lives, we are from one of those countries where the punishment is either stoning or well, it's death by stoning. That's the punishment for being queer. And so we've just got to breathe for the last hour. It's been remarkable. And I ended up spending sort of the rest of the afternoon with them to sort of take them around. That interaction for me has been one of the most important ones because when we set out to start off doing it, we didn't say, oh, I want people to be flying in to see us, you know, from specifically that country. But they did. And it reminds me that the stories that we tell have the ability to change lives and potentially be a lifeline as well. It could potentially save lives. So for me, that's one of those unexpected interactions that came from it. And a rather significant one. And and you are right. Um, you know, that's the purpose of, I think, what any of us is trying to achieve is to just help people um, in, in you know, the, 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 what's the word? The simplest terms um, is to just make sure people are okay. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like doing what you're doing at the VNA and other museums around the UK uh, and internationally um, and what Darren's now doing um, with Pride in London and, and this podcast and uh, what I do as well I think you know that's all we can try and do is make the world slightly better for other people you look like you were going to say something Darren uh, no no I feel like what I, what I was going to say is more like the the tours and stuff also gives people a space doesn't it, it gives people a community it gives people a group like they're not going around with this on their own they're going around with a group of other people that are like-minded you don't know they can make people can make friends and connections from those groups um, so there's a lot more to it than just like oh like trying to make people make sure people are okay not to shit on what you just said jk but it's actually creating a, a, a space for someone um and creating a could for someone it could be a community it could be uh you know they could be coming out from their like homophobic parents the evening just saying i'm going to the vna and actually you're going on this queer tour with a bunch of people that are interested in the same things they're interested in and like it's actually yeah it's it's then and there creating that kind of community that um it's not online, it's not through Twitter, it's not through Instagram, it's actually in person, they're with, with other people that are interested in that. I think that it's, I don't want to overplay what we do, we're just telling a bunch of stories about a bunch of objects that have been in a cabinet for a long time. But you're right, it's when none of that matters. What matters is the people who come and that space that we create. I have, on the anniversary of the 50th anniversary of the uh, Stonewall Riots, it coincided with one of the tours, and so we had about 100 bodies in the medieval Renaissance gallery just shout the word queer. And I got them to do it a few times to make it louder and louder, and to hear that sound 
echo through all the galleries and just shake the foundations of the museum i think that that is the the thing we're not just looking now it's not just are you being seen it's you're being heard now as well and so for me when i get to meet people at that space that i told you we were going to meet at i still hear that echo I, I i'm picturing it now i'm picturing just like the the reverbing nature of that sound just going on and down through each gallery it's also quite a rebellious act as well like a gallery space where you're meant to be quiet meant to be like you know doing it and actually you're screaming you're shouting from the top of your lungs too so, and, and shouting queer like it's a very rebellious act it's quite freeing as well especially in a place that i guess for some people can be quite an oppressive space too yeah and so how how often are these lgbt plus uh tours when when can we go on one it's on the last saturday of each month and tomorrow in fact is the last saturday of the month of course the museum is closed so tomorrow on my twitter feed it will be a Twitter live at 12.30 so we've gone for a slightly different time uh, we will be doing them as a group of volunteers while we are all in these scenarios so we will be linking up with each other as we are doing now via some software that will allow you to see the beautiful faces of the volunteers and I've got pictures of the objects and as I say you know it's the objects not so important it's 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 the connection that we make and so we are still going to be there and we are still going to be sharing these queer stories because right now i think more than ever we need to remind each other that we are so physically distant from each other but we are still there for each other and we can still say hi darren jk i can see you and i will for the next few moments just engage with you and so i think tomorrow is going to be uh, a bit of a an experiment to see how it gets on but i think people are going to be so forgiving of it because they are just going to want to be there with us as well i think it's going to be a special moment as we all kind of just sink back in on social media and just kind of say well this is just going to be for the next few minutes just a special moment where we can just uh take a breath have a sense of space in our day and remind ourselves that for all the hard things that we're experiencing now and the difficulties that are to come it's still okay for us to be able to have a bit of the day where we can just enjoy ourselves or a bit of the day where we just give ourselves a bit of time to think and so tomorrow it means that we'll be spending a bit of the day celebrating lgbtq plus stories and lives throughout history and culture and I would say that by the time this podcast gets edited and goes up, we've probably missed that. Uh, so you're looking at, because this is recorded towards the end of March, so you're probably looking at the last Saturday of April, uh, and we'll, we'll link to your Twitter in the uh, info on this uh, on this one, um, so you can go and see it. And I'm very excited, though, for one of the things that I'm really looking forward to is actually doing this tour. Um, we were supposed to be walking around the V&A right now and doing this live and going up to the objects and living my um, Claire Baldwin fantasy of rambling around the museum. And so I'm I'm Darren shaking their head at me. Uh, so I'm much looking forward to doing that when we are all out of this. I think when we're all out of this, we won't be walking around the museum. We're going to be skipping across the halls of the V&A. We I wonder what to you be... were going to say then. <laughs> 
And Darren, it will be an education for you because you'll be able to see the Statue of David or the, the cast of it. Well, I saw it last time. I just didn't really know what it was. I kind of just like, oh, okay, cool. Carry on. <laughs> I wasn't really there for the sculptures. Like, let's be real. Like, I was there for the pretty clothes. <laughs> <laughs> and it was also Valentine's Day. It was the most depressing day of the year to go. It was just couples everywhere. And then here with my like, Who did you go with? Um, my friend Kirsten. So I was with a, like, a cis girl as well. And I was just like, well, this is really depressing as well. So... We were querying up just being there, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's true. Um, I think that's a good place to end. Unless there's anything else you want to talk about? The silence. Oh, was that to me? Was that to me? Sorry. No, that was, that was, oh, to, no. That was to both was of you, really. Okay. Go on, Darren. Oh, I don't have anything else to add. Is there anything you wanted to add, Darren? Don't just thank you for having me. This has been Oh, don't hoot. be silly. And it's nice to be able to just see your faces on the screen. Um, if I touch the screen, I can... No. <laughs> engage with off. a human uh, minimize the screen and get rid of them yeah no i just this is oh boy this is nice to be able to chat with people and can i ask why are you sat in a cupboard is there a reason is that just where the wi-fi is the best or i'm sat in the cupboard just for the acoustics uh if i was in the uh living room it's uh it's windy today so you can hear the sound of right okay yeah. Sure. Yeah. Just, just it would weird. sound like I was broadcasting from the middle of the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> but you do raise a, a really interesting uh, and really vital point is that um, we spoke about it yesterday, Darren, that I say yesterday. What's what is the context of time now? Uh, the concept context. What are words? Um, but we spoke about this whole idea. Just like, get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> but we spoke about that whole idea that now we've got all this time to think about stories and we can share these stories and uh, broadcast them to the world. And Actually, I think that's probably how the most uh, the majority of us are going to get through this is by sharing those stories, having communications, having chats. Uh, and so, again, if you want to come on, uh, f- follow Dan's footsteps, then please do, um, because we're looking for content, uh, more more stories to tell. I mean, podcasts are incredibly important because you both are my best mates when I put the podcast on. You become my company. You become the person that, you know, I'm You with. haven't listened to this old rubbish. <laughs> I have. I swear I have. <laughs> oh, I have a friend. <laughs> One. Uh, thank you so much, Dan. Uh, I cannot wait to recreate this, but in the flesh, uh, when Darren and I join you at the VNA once we're all out of lockdown. Uh, but if you want to come back on and have a chat at some point over the next few months, tell us more about objects, then you're more than welcome. Wonderful. Thank you. So that was the episode with Dan, where we've just gone on a virtual tour of the VNA. Uh, more interesting and, as Darren said at the start, more uh, in-depth than that. Uh, I think these objects that we're looking at in a different light are so essential to LGBT plus history and our culture and understanding just where uh, the queer uprising has started, but that this has been going on for as long as humanity. Yeah, and I think if you can and you live in uh, London or Reading or wherever Dan does these tours, just follow Dan on Twitter. It's the best place probably to figure out that figure that out. To go actually onto one of these tours and take part and experience what Dan was talking about, obviously after isolation when they're back up and running, because queerness. <laughs> because queerness. Uh, so they're on the last Saturday of the month uh, at the VNA. You can travel there fairly easily, uh, South Kensington Tube Station. Um, but we'll be back. When are we back? Who travel else is directions now? I know. I'm a tube nerd. Um, when are we back again? Who's on? Um, we'll be back again soon. I don't know who's on next. We haven't really got that I planned. Mean, what is a calendar? Uh, I mean, that's my life every day anyway. But 
Yes, we'll be back soon with another episode. That it? You done? Yeah. My sentence didn't sound like it was ending there, but it was ending there, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we will see you soon. If you want to become... uh, if you want to become, if you want to come on to the podcast, uh, send us an email, fofqpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter, fofqpodcast. Uh, Darren, your Twitter, Instagram? mxdarren underscore. And mine is jkc's. Thank you so much. Uh, we will see you on the flip side. <laughs>